Let Me Tell You a Story, podcast number 120. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. It was the age of Never mind it is a truth how long you You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine or a lace of your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Steve. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. Our guest today, Dr. Mary McGuire, is a longtime friend who has taught in Wyoming and Idaho as a classroom teacher and as a reading specialist. Her passion is teaching in low-income schools, where the need for quality teachers and curriculum is the greatest. In addition to teaching elementary-age children as a classroom teacher and a certified reading specialist, Mary's also taught graduate courses as an adjunct professor for several colleges and universities. Her experience includes teaching undergraduate methods courses for Boise State University, teaching graduate courses and developing an online course for Northwest Nazarene University, and teaching diagnosing and remediating reading for the College of Idaho's School of Education. Additionally, Mary teaches graduate students internationally as a mentor for Global University School of Theology. She's had nearly two decades of extensive literacy instruction experience, including developing and teaching a series of workshops to Idaho's adult basic education instructors. Mary has presented workshops in literacy instruction at regional and national conferences, and her research in integrated music with literacy skills has been the catalyst for designing reading curriculum using the orf work approach for struggling readers. Along with a team of researchers, she conducted a summer literacy camp in 2012 that integrated these music methods to improve the literacy levels and skills of students who struggled with reading. Wow, Mary, that's a mouthful. We knew you're a reading specialist, but that's about all we knew regarding your vast experience as an educator. Thank you so much for joining us. We've been looking forward to picking your brain about an important topic, the ability to read and comprehend what we read. But what we're most excited to share with listeners is how your personal story impacted your career. Thank you, Steve and Becky, for having me. It's an honor to be here to tell my story. I have been a reading specialist for many years, and that's been the joy of my life as an educator is to be a reading specialist. But the story starts really a long time ago when I was a non-reader. Right now, it's early September. Kids have returned to school course, reading is crucial to their success and enjoyment of school. So let's begin at your beginning, Mary. We often hear parents need to read to their children to develop a love for books and stories. Did your parents read to you? If so, do you have fond memories of certain books or sitting on a lap? What happened? No, Steve, my parents didn't read to me. My brother, I think, spoiled it for me. He, uh, My mom was reading to him um, about the cow jumping over the moon, and he stopped and he said, Mom, are you sure about that? And uh, she scratched her head and she decided she wasn't going to read to the kids anymore. So, <laughs> nope. <laughs> my parents didn't read to me. 
How old was your brother when he came up with that grilling method, checking out mom's story? I think my brother came out of the hatch doing that. (laughs) So that makes me wonder, did you have kids' books, picture books around the house? There were very few books in my house. However, my parents had two sets of books, large sets of books. One was a set of encyclopedias, and the other one was some, they were just the red books, of children's stories and and poems. And I do remember sitting and going through those, but I never asked Mom to read to me. I would sit and look at them for hours and try to puzzle out what was happening in the pictures. So I was going to ask if you ever did the pretend reading thing that kids do, but if you've never actually heard the stories, I suppose that would have been pretty difficult to do. No, I didn't do much pretend reading, but um, I did love to hear stories, and particularly in Sunday school, I loved to you know, see the, the teachers had the flannel boards, and they would tell the stories, and I, that was about the only time I could sit still and really listen was when there was a good story happening. The Power of Stories. Were you excited to go to school and learn how to read for real? No. I didn't care about reading. I didn't, in, I didn't enjoy sitting still for one thing. But for another thing, I seemed to get by without learning how to read. It just never was kind of an issue for me to learn to read. And it was never something I really wanted to do until I finally came face to face with a time when I wanted something and I knew that I couldn't read and I would have to do that. I would have to learn it. Okay. (laughs) Now we want to know what that moment was. When I was probably in late sixth grade, early seventh grade, a woman in our church heard me singing. And what I really wanted to do was to sing. But she asked me if I would would sing. And it suddenly occurred to me, oh no, if I'm going to sing, I'm going to have to know how to read the words. And I didn't know how to read the words. Okay, maybe we should back up a little bit and you explain what the reading issue was for you. My dad was in the military and we traveled a good bit or moved a good bit when I was young. Kindergarten was good for me. I enjoyed kindergarten very much and I learned all my letters, sounds and letter names, but at first grade, something happened. I don't know that I don't know that there was really an issue that happened, but I just didn't engage. And one of the, the issues for me was that I had ear infections and strep throat. And I had it so often I missed a lot of school. And one of the issues was that if I didn't have strep throat at least three times a year, I wasn't trying hard enough to get it because I had it so often. So missing school was an issue. But the bigger issue for me, now that I'm a reading specialist and I could look back and I could diagnose myself and understand why I couldn't read, was auditory processing. It was, it's called CAPD. It's a central auditory processing disorder. And it's characterized by not hearing the beginning sounds and the ending sounds of words. It's also characterized by... Um, 
um, for example, I couldn't hear words in songs in, in enough to sing along with the radio because I just couldn't hear the beginning sounds and the ending sounds. In the classroom, the teacher, well, you, you remember uh, Charlie Brown, his teacher would go, wah, 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 wah. That's what the teacher sounded like to me. I could not engage with the teacher because I could not stay with her long enough to continue and to learn with her. And so I sort of did my own thing. It's interesting that you could read music, um, but not words. So you might talk a little bit more about that. And also just let us know how you resolved your issue at about fifth, sixth, seventh grade in that range or began to resolve? (laughs) When I was about eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there, my mom gave me piano lessons. We had an old piano in our home. And so I learned how to read music, but I could not read words. I had about a end of first grade, beginning second grade reading level when I got to fifth and sixth and seventh grade, somewhere around there. It was about the time puberty hit. And so this lady asked me to sing at church, but um, I went, oh, oh no, I can't read. So what am I going to do? So what I did was I noticed that we had uh, some old hymnals in the very back of the church. The church was getting some new hymnals. And so I asked the pastor if I could have one of the old beat up ones. So I, he said, oh yeah, of course. So I took this old, I found the one that was beat up the most and I took that home. And because I could read music and I knew all of the hymns by heart, uh, at least the first verse and the chorus, I started using what I knew to teach me what I didn't know. So I would plunk out the hymn on the piano, and I would sing the first verse and the chorus, and then I would try to sing the second verse. And when I got to a word I didn't know, I would stop, and I would look at how it was spelled, and I would try to sound it out. And if I couldn't sound it out, then I would start looking at the discrete letters within it and the letter combinations. And I would try to find something that was similar to that in the words that I did know. And I knew about long vowels and short vowels, and I would try first a long sound, and if that didn't work, then I would change and try a short sound. And I would do that until I got the word. And then I'd start over, and I would sing the song again until I got there. And then, and so my, on Sundays, my test for myself was that I tried to keep up with the music and sing all the verses and, and uh, try to read all the words. Wow, (laughs) what a self-education. So you have told me that your mom didn't realize because you were so smart. (laughs) She did not realize uh, that you couldn't read. So did she wonder about your times at the piano? (laughs) 
my mother worked. So um, after school, I was on my own, and nobody knew what the teacher, the piano teacher, had given me to do. So whatever I chose to play on the piano was okay with anybody else because I was practicing. Um, I said that my mom didn't know that I couldn't read. She she didn't know until I was an adult that, and I finally told her that I couldn't read. Um, what I, I had these methods of fooling even the teacher. Teachers didn't know I couldn't read. And what I would do in class is pay attention. And um, if the teacher asked a question I knew, my hand would go up and I would either be called on or not, but at least I was engaged. And if I didn't know a question, I didn't look at the teacher. I looked down and I hid behind the person in front of me. And the way I took tests was that I would I would find on the written test those shortest questions, and I would try to decipher those short questions, and I would answer as many as I could, and then I would go to the longer and longer questions, and I would, and then if the teacher said, well, you have so many minutes, then I just guess at the rest. I held a good solid C average, and I was very proud of it. So Mary, the big question, did you ever sing that song? Yes, Steve, I sang that song and many others, and I began reading. The nice thing was I could take some of the music home and practice it, and that really helped me. But as I progressed through school, I I have one moment that is like, it must have been about seventh grade, I call it the cereal box moment. Um, I... You know how before school you sat and you ate your cereal and you always looked at the cereal box and I read the whole back of the cereal box and I turned it around and looked at the front and I looked at the bottom, I looked at the top, I looked at the two sides and I started reading monosodium glutamate and I started reading all those words and all of a sudden I went, oh, I can read. And that moment when I realized I can read because I'd been working at it, I can now read. I read slowly. It was labored. I had trouble decoding still, but I could read. And so then I started getting interested in reading. I started, I called my friend Norma and I said, hey, Norma, would you bring some book for me to read? I said, you know, not real hard. Just bring something kind of easy to to church and uh, let me read it. And she said, okay, I'll bring you several books. And so she started being my library and she would bring me books and I would start reading them. Although again, it was very slow and labored and I really didn't enjoy it all that much, but I was wanting to spread my wings a little bit and read. I happen to know Norma, <laughs> and I know she is a voracious reader, so there couldn't have been a better library <laughs> to borrow from <laughs> than Norma's, I don't think. Did she bring War and Peace? Nope, still haven't tackled that one. Shh, we're in a library. I loved hearing about your aha moment. So from that moment forward, did you find school easier? How were your high school years? I started getting much better grades in junior high and high school because I was a little more engaged. The CAPD thing still held me back in some regard, but 
that paying attention in class really helped me all the way through school. But I started doing my homework. That was that was the biggest change. In sixth grade, I didn't do my homework at all. And a, a student that sat next to me, I actually saw him at my high school reunion recently, he said, you know, Sweat, wouldn't it just be easier to do your homework? At that time, I just wanted to slap his face and say, you have no idea what you're talking about because you don't know how hard it is to not be able to read. I remember a few years back, I shadowed you at school, that you had like, I don't know, maybe a half dozen kids you were working with. I'm not sure it was even that many at one time. And I would think that each child probably you had to come up with their own plan. Is that a difficult thing then to have to really make a curriculum for, for each individual? How do you do that? When we do reading intervention for struggling readers, yes, we only have half an hour to work with them. There are things that every reader needs, every struggling reader has to engage in. And so you do a a little bit of a assessment with each child so you know where they are. And then as you group students, you can group them by their disabilities. So if it's a comprehension difficulty, that's a little bit harder to do intervention for. But there there are ways to do intervention for comprehension and you group those students together. If it is a decoding issue, then you teach phonics and you teach them how to decode. A lot of students, especially the little ones, have trouble with phoneme awareness. This central auditory processing is really kind of controversial because there are some experts in the field of reading who say there is no such thing and they instead label it as a phoneme awareness problem. But for those of us who have this difficulty, we know it's altogether real. And there are ways to compensate for it. It never goes away. But there are things that we can teach students with CAPD how to overcome these things. Some of the things that we teach those particular students are that they really need to look at the speaker, whoever's speaking to them, so that they can, so you sort of lip read. You can see if they start a word with a t or a d, and, and you, you teach them how that looks, and they begin to look at the, the, the speakers, and you kind of overcome that. Another thing that we do is we teach them how to self-monitor. If you didn't hear what the teacher said, you raise your hand and you ask for a repeat. There's nothing wrong with asking someone to repeat. For me, I often say, I'm sorry, would you repeat that? And by the time that the person begins to say it again, I already have it. It's just, my gap is just so small that by the time they start, I've already figured out what they're going to say, and they say it again. So, you know, you, you teach them ways to compensate. So I have no experience with working with um, people who have hearing issues, but this sounds real similar as far as... Um, you know, watching people's mouths, and I'm not thinking of somebody that's totally deaf, but maybe just partially. Are there similarities? 
I would say there are some similarities between central auditory processing and those who can't hear, but when it involves a reading problem, CAPD, we just trump the reading problem and we, we're not engaging in the auditory problem at all. So you talked about comprehension problems in the CAPD. Are there other uh, reading difficulties that a child or an adult might have? The issues with reading are pretty broad, and um, we address them differently at different levels. If we're in a clinical situation, then we deal with it one way. If we're in a public school, then it's pretty much a generality, and we group children by their needs, by their age levels. But, you know, you, you can get real discreet in the problems, but really, when it comes down to it, if you can't read, you need some kind of intervention. Considering the difficulties you had with reading, what caused you to say, hey, I want to be a teacher? I didn't choose teaching. Teaching chose me. I went to college uh, after junior high and high school. It, it's, I still was a slow reader, and so getting through the material was still a challenge, and it still took me a while. But when I graduated high school, my dad gave me two choices. I could go to Laramie County Community College, fondly known as Last Chance Community College in Cheyenne, or I could go to NNU, Northwest Nazarene University, where my brother attended. And I decided on NNU just because, well, it was NNC then, and I chose it just because it was time to go away from home. I had no intention of being a teacher. I started out with just the general coursework, the core things, and I really didn't, I, I didn't have the confidence to be a teacher. I didn't think I could be, I knew I could help other students who struggled with reading, but I, I, I had no confidence and no self-confidence in being able to be a teacher and to be in front of a group of people. But the long story short of that is that I had a professor who saw me in action with a small group and he called me into his office and he said, you need to be a teacher. I went from his office to the registrar and changed my general education into elementary education. And it was still a struggle. They almost washed me out of the program because I just didn't seem to have confidence. But I continued to plug away and I actually got an A in student teaching. I still was struggling when I had a lot of material to read, getting through it. And even when I became a teacher, it was when I started reading aloud to my students, picking literature that was readable, that I could read aloud well, and practicing, I had to still practice, but when, it, when I started reading aloud to my students, I became a reader. I became a very good reader. Oh, I'm so impressed you powered through <laughs> to the point where you could enjoy reading to a class uh, or just to the point that you were a teacher. So at what point in your career did you uh, switch to being not just a classroom teacher but a specialist in reading? 
I got a master's degree, actually, after my fourth year of teaching, I started working on a master's program. And it was after that, some years, I always challenged myself. I challenged myself with learning to read. I challenged myself with staying with the music until I got it so I could read the, the hymns and stay along with, with everyone. I've always challenged myself. But at some point, I felt like I had all the challenge that I could have in the classroom, and I needed another challenge. I needed something else I could do. And one of the questions that plagued me was, how do kids get to fifth grade? That was my level of teaching for the most part. But how do they get there and not know how to read? And what is it we need to do prior to that to get children to be able to be readers? And so I was sort of commiserating with a colleague and she said, oh Mary, you need to do this doctor program. You're just gonna love it. So I started my doctorate at Boise State University. And although I wasn't pursuing, it's, it's a curriculum instruction doctorate, I wasn't pursuing the reading part of that until a couple years later when, in the middle of the program, I had a principal who said to me, Mary, you, you're being transferred next year and you are going to be a reading specialist. And I, again, it picked me, I didn't pick it, but it is exactly the thing I would have chosen if I had been thinking that direction, but I sort of waited until it was kind of a God thing I think he God always puts things in my lap and that's one of the things he did was put being a reading specialist in my lap and once I went that direction it is the job I have loved the most it is the job that I embraced and I never got tired of In your bio, you talk about the research you did and the camp you led with a team uh, that dealt with the connection between music and reading. And for you, obviously, that was a huge, uh, very positive connection. So could you talk a little bit more about your research? I obviously didn't do my research alone. My research partner is Dr. Lori Conlon Kahn, who teaches at the University of Idaho, and she is, she was at the time our music specialist, and she was working on her doctorate, and she was interested in the connection between music and reading. We put our heads together and we collaborated on this, and one of the things that we learned through our research was that there are two areas that are directly related to both music and reading. And one of them is that students who tend to have trouble with reading sometimes have this gap in their internal rhythmicity, we call it. And this gap is that they can't keep a steady beat. Now that was never a problem for me, just so you know. I could always keep a steady beat. Um, but for some of, some of our students who struggle, they can't keep a steady beat. And we learned that if we could get those students who struggled with the steady beat to be able to keep that beat, and we worked with them on that, their reading improved. The other area is actually singing, being able to match pitches. And pitch matching is a little complicated. Really what it 
boils down to is can they sing? Can they sing on pitch? But there's more to it than that. I mean, can can they tell the differences between intervals? Can they they sing a melody line? And we also found that and, and again, that was not my problem. I didn't have any problems keeping a pitch. I could, I could match pitch. But one of the things we worked with were students who couldn't match pitches. And so we worked on pitch matching. And we found that when we were able to get students to match pitches, and we used, we had an interactive metronome to help us with these things. And when we were able to get kids to match the pitches, they actually improved on their reading. So again, for me, neither one of those was a problem, but we have a lot of students who do have that. For me, it's the language area of my brain that was affected. One of the things that we know about students, if we catch students very early, we can teach them how to, re to read. And we know this, we start reading to children, we read to them in the womb, we read to them and we sit them on our laps, that closeness and all of that sort of thing. But the other thing is when they start speaking, if we notice a gap in their language, if they're not able to speak clearly, if there's a, a delay in their language, that's a red flag for us for reading. And so that's something we want to, and that was the problem for me. I could not speak clearly when I was a little girl, and I didn't learn how to speak well until I was around four. And so that was the problem for me. So that was an indicator that there might be more going on than just being able to not match pitch or, or not keep an internal rhythm. You mentioned windows of opportunity earlier. Can you talk about that? Well, we know that there are several windows of opportunity to teach children to read. And the biggest window of opportunity is when they're tiny, of course. And so if we can teach children to read early, that's optimal. But if we have students who are not learning how to read, the next biggest window, and nobody talks about this very often, so you don't hear this very much, but the next biggest window of opportunity is about the time of puberty. That was my time, but about the time puberty hits. And the reason is it's during the growth spurts, the brains are growing and they are open to learning. And so that's another time. The next biggest growth spurt is when children are in junior high and high school, when they're they're getting through this last big school growth, and we know that we can engage students in learning how to read at that time also. And their their brains continue to grow until they're about 25, but that doesn't mean we can't get adults to learn how to read too who don't know how to read. That's great to know that all is not lost if you don't learn to read in kindergarten, <laughs> but that there are other opportunities in our lives so could you give us suggestions for parents as to how they can help their kids at each stage and to maybe be aware of any difficulties that they might be having? The biggest recommendation I have for parents is to, first of all, read to your children. Start in vitro, read to them before they're born. Read so that they know your voice and then read to them and hold them in your laps and read even when they're tiny, even when you don't think that they're understanding. It's getting used to the spoken word that's very helpful. Um, as they learn to talk, sometimes baby talk is cute, 
but be really keenly aware of what they're saying and correct them if they're mispronouncing words, help them to correct the, the, the pronunciations of words. And if you notice a problem, then most school districts have a early detection screening that you can request and you can get, get your, your child as early as three years old screened for any kind of reading disabilities. Also ask your kids questions. Ask them open-ended questions so that they begin speaking to you and so you have a dialogue with your children. Ask them the questions of why do you think that happens? What, you know, what do you think happens here and what would you do? Ask them the questions that, that get them to think and to elicit their thoughts. You might be surprised of how smart your child is. And if you, have, if you are an adult who can't read, there are programs, the uh, adult basic education programs at the, the colleges, the universities. It, you could go in and be screened and you can um, engage with someone who will teach you how to read. Mary, this has been fascinating. Just for fun, one last question. Can you tell our listeners some of your favorite children's books to read aloud to their kids or grandkids? My all-time favorite children's book is Who Invited You by Candace Fleming. I like The Biggest Bear, but if I'm going to read to older students, and please do, even your junior high age kids love to be read to, I love The Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, and all those sequels to that one. It's uh, by Mildred Taylor, and I, I love historical fiction, so those, are, those would be my favorite choices. Oh, one of my other favorite stories is Fancy Nancy, any of the Fancy Nancy books. Thanks, Mary, for coming. This has been really interesting. I'm dyslexic, but I don't, I don't have the issues like you did and brought yourself out of them. So really congratulations on that. Good job. And look where it got you. And that's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, remember, you too have a story. Be sure to live it to the fullest. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckyliles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story. <laughs>